Hello, my fellow Uncagers. Welcome to the show. I'm joined today by my friend, Tony Albrecht. Tony and I connected on LinkedIn not even a year ago at this point. We started sharing our stories and we found out very quickly that for a long time, we had both been trapped in the scripted life. Me in consulting, he in the legal realm, and our paths were shockingly similar. I use the word becoming uncaged. He talks about living unscripted. So we dove into that more today. I talked about our origins and how we both developed. And we dug in particularly with what Tony's doing in the creative space. And creativity might not mean much to you in an abstract word, but he's making it very real for people today. He's helping spark creativity in all sorts of people on LinkedIn right now. He's got multiple podcasts. He's got a book that we just talked about, which is in the creative arena. I loved that book. And then we also dove into two specific concepts, the idea of resistance with a capital R. Resistance comes from Stephen Pressfield. How are we always just on the cusp of facing our big challenges, but never actually doing it? That's the resistance we face. We know we need to engage that fear and lean into it, but it takes discipline. It takes repeated sending your ass in the seat day after day, as Stephen Pressfield would teach us. And Tony's embodying that. He talks about it in his book, in his work. I love what he's doing out there in the world. He takes awesome experiments. He just goes with where his intuition takes him. And he loves helping people. So I hope you really enjoy this. You'll get a lot out of it. I know I did. Tony's a true gem. One last thing, if Uncage Yourself is giving you value, I'd greatly appreciate it if you quickly hopped on over to Apple Podcasts, left the quick review. And also, if you're in Spotify, just click the number of stars. If it's giving you some value, means a lot, helps spread the good word. All right, let's get into it with Tony. Growing up, society taught you to follow the script by choosing a career path and climbing the ladder. But for many people, this promise falls flat. Work suffocates them and life becomes painful. Here, you're trapped in what I call the corporate cage. Fortunately, there's a way out. You can take control of your corporate job and unlock a life of freedom. I call this living uncaged. Hi, this is your host, Matt Doan. I'm a coach, creator, and entrepreneur. Uncaging people is my mission because it's been my exact life journey. This show provides you the stories, principles, and tactics to make it happen. Welcome to Uncage Yourself. Tony, my friend, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. I'm so excited to dive in with you. You've been such an influence to me and inspiration over the last year. I'm so glad we've crossed paths and we've got something really special to share with people today, talking about being in the creative arena. But before we get to that, I want to talk about something very serious and important, Tony. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, pretty much everyone that I know, operates on oxygen and, and water. You operate on espresso. How is that? So far, so good. It's, uh, I, every once in a while, I will have water. I think water is, is great. Air is great. Uh, I have a very addictive personality. And uh, as you know from, from our interactions, alcoholism is part of my story and 
I haven't had a drink in 12 years, but it it's not a coincidence that I had never really drank coffee before I gave up booze. And it was right around the time that I was giving up booze that I gave coffee a shot. And over the years, the coffee has just gotten stronger and stronger to the point where, you know, a few days ago, we're down in Toronto and I'm just ordering a quad shot straight, you know, that like, that's what I'm starting my day with. And, um, I just try to be done before three o'clock with it and, you know, my sleep is fine. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. (laughs) Yeah. Between the cup of Joe itself and the actual coffee shop experience, which I know you love, there's Mm -hmm. something special about being in that world. It's good for a lot of the creative juices and just saying, okay, I'm in this environment, whether I'm sipping this coffee right now or whether I'm in this place in this slightly noisy environment of the coffee shop, it triggers a state. It's an environment change which says, okay, I'm putting on maybe my creative hat or I'm talking with someone. I'm in in the zone with them, but it's an actual great state change for people, right? Absolutely. Coffee shop or not. (laughs) Oh yeah. And it's, we moved up to the forest in Ontario a year ago and really the there are two things I don't like about where we are now. One is the bugs. And the other is that I'm 50 minutes from the closest legit coffee shop. Uh, other than that, we love being up here. But it's, yeah, I, I love that environment. And it really has been an important one for me over the years. Yeah. Yeah. The whole idea of environment design, right? Whether it's the writing shed out back or mm-hmm. switching it up so that you know that you're doing something different. Like, I advise people all the time, like my coaching clients, don't do work in bed. Bed is for something else, one or two other things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, let that be that. Switch environments when you need to be in a different mode, a different zone, because what's around you, the sights, smells, all of that can help you be a different person when you need to be. That's well said. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for the espresso lesson. All right, (laughs) let's get into some substance here, just so that everyone's on the same page with Tony here. Could you describe for us a little bit the chapters of your life? How would you summarize that? Sure. I can do that pretty easily. I grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis. Um, and I think about my my teenage years as being totally conventional. Uh, when, you know, trying to do well in high school, then trying to do well in college. I think about my 20s largely as a lost decade where... The way I think about it now, um, I had grown up creatively inclined. I had over time gotten, I believe, conditioned to want to know the right answer right, and to avoid that red X in school, which led me to, by the time I finished undergrad, uh, being unable to take the risks necessary to be creative. So instead, what I went for was the the safe career path that I thought would impress you, um, which for me was law school. And so with those decisions, when I say lost decade, you know, I'm, I'm then heading on a trajectory that was not leading anywhere good. And that's when my drinking started getting out of hand. Um, my thirties then, you know, I, I got sober at 27. Um, I think of my thirties then is trying to figure out what kind of man I wanted to be, what I wanted to stand for, and then a hard reset on 
my life and trying to lay new foundations for for the life I wanted to build based on based on values based on principles and now i I have been forty now for five days, and I'm seeing my forties as the decade of building you know that that we've got some foundations laid I've got a beautiful family um and you know we're we're gonna see what we can make out of it. Talk to me a little bit in the 30s, if we can open up that particular chapter a little bit. I know it has a very meaningful time period where you were exploring your creativity in your book, in the creative arena. You talked so eloquently about having early inclinations, like being in the right major, having creative muscles, and then eventually you said, no, 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 safe path. Let's choose safe path. And mm-hmm. then you kind of reawakened to that creative side within you within your thirties. What was the journey like of exploring that? <laughs> How much time do we have? Uh, I remember being on a work trip. I, uh, I was a litigator who traveled the country taking depositions. And on my 30th birthday, I remember waking up in a tent by myself in the Black Hills in South Dakota. And I was on a work trip, but had gone out a couple days early to to do some national park exploring. Um, and I remember getting out of the tent, looking out of this over this beautiful valley, and saying, "This is the year things change." And sure enough, like nine months after my birthday, I had quit my job, sold all my stuff, saved as much money as I could, got rid of my car. And left with a one-way ticket to Bangkok, uh, intending to take a year uh, to just kind of see what I could make of, frankly, of my life and try to get a different trajectory. And it was kind of during, well, that one-year sabbatical turned into more than four years between full-time roles. And I made... A, a bunch of stuff uh, in that time. I wrote a lot. I, I had a, a relatively long lasting blog that I started with my sister called Off Scripting, uh, which turned into a, uh, a company that, that started with a couple sort of adventure tourism trips for people, uh, then morphed into a creative support group that has then now become the Rowdy Creative, which is still running today. Um, and it, over time, I guess it, what had beca- begun as, as trying to get away from a trajectory that was not working or that I knew, you know, I was able to see my future five years, 10 years, 25 years, and I just didn't want it. Um, you know, this idea of off scripting was, you know, if you're living that story that was written for somebody else, what happens if you veer off that well-worn path? You know, the one that you write so well about, uh, with uncaged, uh, and go off in, into the woods, you know, and start blazing your own trail or finding your own trail. And that's where creativity really comes in because once you go off that beaten path 
you got to figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's not there for you, right? That's the whole, the whole point. That, that when you talked about off scripting, when you first introduced that to me a while back, it just so resonated, right? Because it's, we have possibly these great dreams when we're growing up of what life could be. You're unconstrained because you haven't been exposed to all sorts of conditions, like pressures out there in the world. And then you start getting pushed to be logical, to pick things that make sense, mm. that are good for the long run, that others just find acceptable. And you, you just eventually absorb it. And you're like, ah, well, I've got three options. I'm going to pick option B, lawyer, and see where this goes. Like, that means sensible is going to be good. I can find happy within sensible. But then, shit, it, it really starts to hurt soon enough. Because you follow the script, inevitably, your creative muscles, your creative dreaming has died. Mm. And you're going to start yearning for it later. Mm. Hopefully, you have enough lifetime that you actually get to start yearning for it later. And you're like, oh, my God, what am I waking up to? And it's not to say... We, we can't have some joy in, in these default paths and these scripted lives. But there's a lot of people like you and I, and I'd say those that are listening to you and I and looking at our content that are like, no, nah, I want something more out of life. And it's, it, it's a bold step to go into the woods, right? To go off script and like, I'm going to blaze my own trail, but there's a whole lot of trees and shrubs. And I just got this one machete. What the hell am I to do? <laughs> it's a lot of work to start blazing your own trail and actually get there. You've mentioned the word creative. It's obviously part of your book title, which we'll dive into right now in a, in a few minutes, actually, in the, in, the, in the creative arena. But the idea is, I think that idea of being a creative, being creative, being a creator for millennials like us, especially, it's, it's not something that we accept very naturally. It's often been like, there's the creative department, like in Mad Men, right? Like there's those people that do creative stuff or they're artists in the traditional sense, how should we think about being creative or being a creator these days? Especially pe for people that had those scripted jobs that they're, say they're working a nine to five right now. Like, how should we think about those terms? What could they mean to us, Tony? Mm. So I, I don't actually consider myself an expert on the subject. So I, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts as well. And, and I think your thoughts may be as valuable as mine. But the way I think about it, um, Sir Ken Robinson's definition of creativity is the one that I've come to use the most. And he talks about it as a uh, process for generating ideas that are new and have value. And I think about that in, in three parts, that it's a process, right? So number one, it's something that can be learned, it can be improved, and it can be repeated. You know, there's the new piece of it that it's about, you know, I describe it as collecting dots, you know, taking in information from around us uh, and then connecting the dots. So like, you know, using our experiences to guide the things that we can then um, dream up or figure out. Uh, and then there's the usable, or I should say useful or valuable piece, uh, which is where the rubber meets the road. Because that means that we're taking the idea and we are turning it into something that we can then put out into the world and have an impact. Um, and 
so I say all that as a, as a preface to your actual question, which I believe that we are all creative by nature, uh, that human beings just are creative animals. We're constantly taking in information. We're constantly connecting dots and we're constantly then using that information to, uh, to go out in the world and make things happen. And it's our education system and frankly, our society as a whole uh, in the industrial era. And this, this is all straight out of Seth Godin stuff, which I know he's influenced you tremendously as well, where, you know, Seth writes about in the industrial age, the social contract was uh, if you are willing to show up on time and take orders, we'll take care of you. Right. And, it's a pretty good deal. And that is that well-worn conventional path, that script that, uh, that you and I both talk about. And you know, there's a lot of upside to that arrangement, right? Um, and to me, you know, ultimately, I, the path didn't work for me. Uh, I think it doesn't work for a lot of people. You, you see that as well in what you're doing. Um, but I do think that in another place in time, the idea of being creative is not relegated to the arts department. It's not just those two kids in the corner who have different colored hair and, and paint, right? It's, it's something where creativity is not that thing. Creativity is basically how we make new stuff happen. And so it applies not just to the arts. Entrepreneurs have to be creative. Like architects pretty much have to be creative. Um, yet teachers have to be creative. Parents have to be creative. Like there's, there's no manual for, for how to do the parenting thing, right? Uh, so part of the argument I'm making in, in the book is creativity is a tool. And in this moment where the industrial era already has given way to whatever is next, you know, Seth Godin writes about it as the connection economy. Um, you could think about it as the internet age, but it's, it's this very sudden moment where the rules of that we grew up with that led us to take those comfortable paths, those rules really do not apply anymore. And I do think that that's part of why, frankly, I think that path isn't working. Um, and you, you're really unleashing me here. I'm just like rolling for, what was that? 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You, you bring up this, you know, we have these feelings, I would say caged or people just generally unhappy and they want to find their own path. Right. I've been talking with several uh, Gen Zers recently and had one on the podcast the other day. And it was so enlightening. I love that generation for so many reasons. But it's this whole idea where you grow up these days, at least for folks that are maybe 10, 15 years behind us, more junior, they, they don't have these scripts and, and defaults so ingrained in them. So it's much easier to just be like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to quiet quit. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to like job hop, change careers, take sabbatical because it's so natural to them. But people that grew up and I'd say millennials were the last 
were the last generation of the industrial era, mm. right? Where this was, this story was handed down about plugging into systems. And we, we were fully indoctrinated growing up in it, but we're on this weird edge where we see society changing in front of us. And we're young enough to the point where like, can, I, I don't like this system anymore. I want something different. I see what's possible. So while we grew up with one system, we're coming face to face with maybe a much more intriguing, exciting system that is creative and entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean leaving a nine to five, but it's just being entrepreneurial and carving your own path and having hold of your destiny. It's a really tough mental struggle. And I think at the core of it is the choice to be creative, to fully embrace all of that creative potential, which you've been suppressing for years. Mm. And you see it each day, like you're walking around and breathing, that's creative, like in, at its core, but to turn it up to like 11, like in Spinal Tap, turn it up to 11 to the point where like, wow, what can I be? What can I actually accomplish in this world? What can I ship? What can I do to grow myself, make a difference in those lives I seek to serve? And it's a big choice in front of us right now. Mm, that's really well said. And when you bring up Gen Z, I, I think that's spot on. You know, for all the, the problems of social media and particularly social media's impact on teenagers, uh, to me, there is something really encouraging about, you know, like you see the rise of TikTok and that platform is so creative and so you've got all these younger people and i'm still trying to are you on there yet i don't think i've seen you on tiktok no <laughs> no no i've tuned one platform at a time really it's too much too fast i i hear you i'm i'm finally getting persuaded to lean into tiktok but you it's seeing teenagers at an age where where I just was trying to fit in. Um, you And frankly, that's what they're trying to do as well, right? Like this is how you fit in is by putting your videos out there, or putting your posts out there. Uh, and, and while that has some really weird ramifications for, for self-esteem and, and where you place your self-worth, I think there's so much value in learning to make stuff and ship it right and that's that's something that social media does really well and particularly as we get you know things like tiktok where you can get pretty involved in what you're making and i like i think there's a lot of benefit in that and and that script you're talking about where where like the gen zers don't have the same hang up so much is really interesting that yeah, then when you grow up without, and I, I've heard, I've got one person in mind who talks about it more is just, it's more like you just don't expect you know, the, the social contract to hold up, right? Like you don't expect social security to be there by the time you're 70 years old. Uh, if you're, if you're 21 today in a way that, you know, you and I as millennials, uh, we still we still had that mentality, so it's it is what a time to be alive, right? Hell of a time, and God, I don't know about you. I just want to help people wake up, especially 
I, I obviously we gravitate, I think, towards our generation because I, I would consider myself as having gone through an awakening process. Like mm-hmm. life sucked for a long time before I woke up. Like you had your shit. I had my shit. We are on the other side of a lot of pain now. Mm. And it's like, whoo, eyes wide open. We escaped our matrix. We took our red pill. We see more clearly. We see what's possible. We're inspired by things like Gen Z value systems and things like this. And we want to live a big, exciting life. We Mm -hmm. want to feel alive. We know it's possible. It's not easy, but it's really possible. And I just hope, you know, a lot of people that listen to this show, they're they're nine to fivers. They might be, you know, late 30s, early 40s. And they're just like, I'm so far in. I've got all these sunk costs. I've been on this path for so long. I've got three kids. I've got a mortgage. I've got all these responsibilities. I can't. Damn it, Tony. I can't afford to be creative. It's just not for me. I would love to, but it's just not for me. And I see people like that. I'm like, please don't, please don't die. Please be alive. Choose to be alive. And it can be done in a risk managed way. You don't have to like, oh, I'm goodbye corporate. I'm leaving and I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to be a TikTok (laughs) sensation from day one. I'm like, no, that's a stupid way to do it. But there are other ways, especially with the movement since COVID, the power swinging to the employee from employer to employee. There's a lot more um, autonomy and agency that we have more than ever. And I'm like, take advantage of that. Set your terms for the life you want to live, design that, and then tell yourself, create your own social contract to use your language with how you will show up with work, what you will do, what you won't do, what you'll tolerate, all these things. It's Mm -hmm. perfectly acceptable. You want to live a healthy life. You want to be a thriving human. And if you're doing that, hell, you're going to be good for your employer anyways. Why wouldn't they want that, right? I, I think that's spot on. And you know, back when I was, when, when I unplugged from the matrix for, for those years from 2013 to 2017 uh, and started off scripting, part of the problem that we ran into, and I started with my sister who did something similar uh, from her job in the nonprofit sector, was uh, we knew the value of taking that initial leap of of stepping out and trying something different but we didn't neither of us were married neither of us had kids we didn't have mortgages uh, and we were in a position of privilege where we were able to save up enough money that we could say okay i'm going to take 6 months i'm going to try 9 months 12 months and see what happens right i love part of why i love what you do so much is because you have figured this stuff out on the fly with big boy responsibilities. Like the fact that you've built this the way you have is, I, I absolutely love it. And I, I'm, I'm totally inspired by it. And I'm not surprised that so many other people are inspired by your story because it is, it is one, the awakening for me, and maybe there's more than one, but those have a tendency to happen very quickly, but as a result of a bunch of work that happened before, right? I've, I've had these moments of epiphany that have only come after months of intentional, you know, like nose to the, to the grindstone work on myself for the most part. Right. Um, but it's like, once you understand that stuff, it doesn't mean like you're saying, it doesn't mean you're going to freak out and throw it all away to go try to make it on TikTok. Um, it just, for me, it was a realignment of priorities. And 
there are risks to taking the chances that you and I have taken, but obviously there are also risks to not doing that. And frankly, had I not done the stuff I did, you know, 10 years ago to, to try to change my trajectory, I think I was going to have a really hard time, uh, getting a handle on the booze. Like, and I think I would have had a very difficult time having a, a healthy relationship, you know, and I'm, I'm so grateful. You know, I've been married for six and a half years, which blows me away. The fact that I could maintain a marriage for six and a half years, um, is, you know, it's such a blessing. Um, and it, it has been a product of, like you're saying of the, the waking up, but like with that awareness to me, it goes, it goes to those first principles and those values and then trying to build the life from there. And part of my story, and I know I'm rolling again, but you know, I went back to the litigating in 2017 that I had walked away from in 2013. Uh, I plugged back into the matrix is the way that I describe it. But when I went back in 2017, because I was newly married, uh, but we we didn't have a house. Neither of us had a full-time job. My wife had gone back to school and we wanted to start a family and we were both in our thirties. So as they were, like, I had goals, right? I had a place I wanted to get to and how was I going to do it? So I, I plugged back in. I went back to basically the same industry. Um, but a couple of things, number one, I was able to plug back in at the level I would have been at had I never left in the first place. So there's always this question when you step out of like, will society have me back if you take any sort of chance? And as you alluded to, yeah, they will. Like <laughs> employers always need solid people. Uh, that's a reality. And then the second piece of it that's so important in what you're talking about with where we're at right now when I plugged back in in 2017, I did do it on my own terms, where it, I was no longer a passive participant in the project of my life. I was the person choosing how my trajectory was going to unfold. And so I, I stuck with that for another four years, which tremendous learning, um, you know, like had a house, you know, we ended up with two kids out of that uh, and then made another big leap where we went from my hometown of St. Louis up here to Canada. And part of that, I got out of law entirely and I'm in a whole new role in a whole new industry and doing all this other, um, the creative stuff we've, we're talking about here. I've really been able to lean into that over the last year. Um, but all this to say, it's to me, it's all a process that begins with Back to what you're saying, waking up and like once you just even try to focus on that and trust that it's not going to kill you, which frankly is the concern, right? The concern is that somehow we end up getting ourselves killed, right? Or we end up homeless or we end up starving or we end up uh, without any friends or family. We're just by ourselves the, that those fears like once you take that step, you start to realize that uh, now that's we're just playing a different game now, and it's a way 
more fun game. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is, right? You have so much more. It's choose your own adventure, controlling your destiny at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think it's safe to say, Tony, that you and I wouldn't be where we are if we weren't influenced by people that were nonconformists, that mm -hmm. were rule challengers, right? That thought differently, that actually went against the grain, mm -hmm. blazed their own trail. Two of those people, which you mentioned in your book, In the Creative Arena, which I read in under 48 hours, by the way. I loved it. And Thank you. We'll get more to that, um, but we'll have, make sure to have it in the show notes. I loved that book a lot. But two people that stood out, Seth Godin, Stephen Pressfield, huge influences on me, by the way. Maybe that's why we've become so close so quickly. Um, but how, since they've been introduced to you, how have they become so influential in your world? So I, I was introduced to Stephen Pressfield and his book that is my creativity Bible, The War of Art through an interview with Seth Godin. So um, that, that connection happened in like 2015 or 2016. I first ran across Seth's work, I want to say in 2010 or so. So right around the time that things were starting to get interesting for me. And his language around this precipice we're at between the industrial age and what he coined as the connection economy resonated so deeply with me that we're we're in this really precarious and in some ways exciting moment right and and his books and like for me stop stealing dreams is a book of his on education that changed how i think about education uh linchpin like how you go about your role in a company as a leader you know tribes how to lead in the internet age, uh, the dip, how you get through to the end of any creative project, the practice, his book about creative process, you know, like all these, these things that he talks about are ultimately, um, I mean, what he says about what education now should do, since we no longer need education to be how we get information. We need education to teach us how to uh, lead and solve interesting problems. And you, that has resonated with me so deeply that I think it has come to largely define how I go through the world. And then Pressfield, uh, you know, he wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. No, I had never even seen the movie. I still haven't seen the movie or read the book. But the war of art and this, this idea of going from an amateur, you know, like somebody who basically is controlled by fear and the idea of resistance that, that Pressfield coined or about this natural force that only exists to keep us from doing things that make us better versions of ourselves. Like that idea, once I understood it, if I had run across that book at 22 years old, I truly believe I don't become a lawyer. If I had had the war of art at 22 and gotten just turned on to the, again, this idea of waking up. If I'd been, if I'd gotten woken up to the idea that resistance was beating my ass every day, I'd like to think that I may have had the gumption or the willingness to see what would happen if I tried to win that battle. And instead, what I did was run away from it. I just, I just, I mean, I, early on in the book, I talk about how 
I think resistance won every single day for seven years in my twenties. Um, and so I've, I've really latched onto that idea and that language. Um, and it was part of how we came to the creative support group. We started, you know, like that idea of just like these very simple cohorts that we run on a monthly basis where it's pretty laid back. It's an elegant design. And the whole point is let's make work happen. So it's just, you've got a project you want to move forward. And in the olden days, we would talk about an idea and be like, oh, that's an awesome idea. You should totally do that. Then you ask about it three months later, how's that project going? Yeah, you know, (laughs) but we don't do that anymore. Now our, our little community, by virtue of stringing together these cohorts where you have your project and you say, what am I doing over the next three weeks? And reverse engineering that to, it helps to put our butt in the seat day after day and just make more work, which then helps us to put work out in the world. But it also, I think, makes us better versions of ourselves, right? It, it makes us better, makes me a better father. It makes me a better husband. It makes me a better employee, a better friend, a better entrepreneur. Um, and I do attribute all of that to, to Pressfield's influence on me. And frankly, in the creative arena is just, it's a straight homage to the war of art from like, <laughs> from like the, the subject matter to the structure, like even the way it looks yeah. and how long it is. Like, it is just me. I, I could feel that. Yeah. I loved it that way. Right. I felt Pressfield and South going through and not in a like copy sense but it's like an homage like you said like there's something powerful in the way they communicated their creative ideas to the world and to emulate that is like one of the most important nods you can give to someone to people in your heroes and i think about in pressfield you know he has his fiction side and his nonfiction side you're talking about some of his nonfiction side Mm -hmm. he writes a lot about the spartans ancient greeks alexander the great and to think about the movie 300, right? This 300 Spartans, just crazy warrior mentality. It's like, we're going to take on the entire Persian army. We're going to defend <laughs> Spartan ways. And like 300 versus the entire thousands and thousands and thousands of Persians. And I, I like to see this, this golden thread and what, what Pressfield says as he dug into the mentality of the Spartans and mm. Alexander the Great, Gates of Fire, all these things. It's just like what it took for them to become Spartan warriors was extreme commitment and discipline Mm. to fight that resistance of laziness, being average. To keep the Spartan ideal alive required intense discipline. I just listened to a podcast the other day on the Spartans, and that culture is insane. I can't even put it in words. It would take two hours. But that idea of discipline really shines through to me a lot. And, you know, Seth with the practice and Pressfield talking about how to fight the resistance. You brought that up mm-hmm. in your book as well. I, I just can't help but think about why is discipline so damn hard? Like if we have these creative inclinations, right, and we know we can be something more and at the root of it is, is discipline. Why, why do people who are like following these default scripted paths, why is it so hard to have discipline? you then go blaze your own path. What comes to mind is a line from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet, where he talks about comfort as that thing that enters the house as a guest, then becomes a host and then becomes a master. That, and I, 
seems like lizard brain stuff. I mean, I think that's right. Where like, we're still operating with some very old hardware and hardware that was trying to just worry about their survival. And so the more comfort you can get, the merrier, right? The easier the life you can pull off, you know, since our, our brains seem to be wired to be expecting things to go very, very wrong on a biological level. Um, yeah, to me, that's what it comes down to, right? Is that, so it's, it is needing to understand that as human beings, our lives have gotten for many of us so comfortable. I mean, we have so much comfort uh, readily available to us. We could just Netflix and chill and eat snacks all day, every day. You know? And I really have to try not to do that. I really, I mean, part of, so much of what I do is precisely because I am maybe the least disciplined person I've ever met, you know, that I'm, I'm just pathologically inclined toward hedonism. You know, like whatever, whatever feels best and easiest in the moment is what I'm going to try to do. And mm-hmm. yeah. How do you, how do you think about that? It's like, you know, you want something better for your life, whether it's, you want to be healthier, a better, better husband, father, whatever it is, you want to ship a creative work and you know what that is and you feel the resistance constantly. And all I can think about as I've learned over time is to install these tiny little micro decisions day by day that get you to where you want to be. Pressfield's mm-hmm. new book, put your ass where your heart wants to be, right? Like mm-hmm. literally like get yourself in the seat where you're going to do the work day after day, whether it's an hour, two hours, whatever, that gets you to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. That's that's a, a decision. Like for me, like people on the podcast can't see this, but I've got a rubber band around my phone right here. This is a very conscious thing to say, every time I pick it up, I'm going to sense that rubber band. And that's an opportunity to put that phone back down because I know what happens when I open that phone. I know that I I open up news or check email for the 50th time in the day. And I'm not even thinking it's completely subconscious. And I know that's bad for me. It's distracting me. It's keeping me from the good work, being the person I want to be, whether it's present with family, healthier, chipping creative work, being a good coach, whatever it is. And I just want to do the little things I can do day by day to say no to the thing I shouldn't be doing micro discipline action, right? And saying Mm -hmm. yes to the thing I need to. And I can't help but think this is just hard training like an elite athlete does over years, like Phelps did to get all those gold medals that you just keep putting in the reps, the reps till it becomes second nature. And it's your only path. That becomes your new default path, but it's of your own creation. And that takes a lot of hard work and it takes a long freaking time. It does not happen overnight. There's a reason most people can't get through that dip because it takes a lot of pain and struggle as much as we would love to adopt wisdom from the gurus and port that into our world. We have to go through often years of pain and struggle and failure and persistence to come out the other side. So that's how I view it. That's fantastically said. And I would just add that there's this misconception of creativity as fluffy or as rainbows and unicorns, right? It's, It's finger painting and poetry. Creativity is dirty work. It's really hard work and it requires, it demands discipline. Uh, It demands that we are willing 
to, again, win that battle against resistance every day is so that we can actually put our butt in the seat and get some work done. And there, I have found no other way around it. You know, that that's yeah. that relying on inspiration alone is not going to get me anything. I have to be willing to take that more, a little more Spartan attitude of asceticism and simplicity and mm-hmm. trying to maintain order. Yeah. yeah. As you said that, the, the, the mantra that comes to my head is creativity is life or death for people like you or I. Mm. Like, can you imagine if we were just living small lives that others directed us to be? We wouldn't be alive. We might be shells of, you know, flash walking around at best. But well, knowing me, what we know now. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's not it's not even metaphorically alive. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think I've very, given my propensity for destructive behavior. I very well may have killed myself, you know, accidentally or otherwise. Yeah. So I, for me, it, it absolutely is a, a matter of life or death. And that's why part of why I. I am willing to, to do the work. Let that one sink in audience. Mm. Let that one hit you hard. Powerful, Tony. Man, I know why we vibe so well. These are really life or death matters. And it's not the fluffy finger painting. It's not the artistic for the sake of hobby stuff. Like those, those are inconsequential ideas compared to what you and I are talking about. The necessity of creativity for feeling alive and being alive. Cause if you're going to be alive, you have to feel it. That's the only way we work. Mm-hmm. Well, I would also say that I think there's an economic financial motivation here as well, which is to say the the script we were raised with about get the degrees, get the job, get the next job and be on that linear career path to success. I don't think it it exists for fewer and fewer people with every passing day. Right. And, and this mm-hmm. idea that, you know, our kids, the jobs that our kids are going to have 40 years from now don't exist today is is really hard to wrap the mind around. And it's a very new thing. That's a that's a very new idea that we, you know, to me, creativity is just figuring out how to take whatever comes and make the most of it because we predictability becomes less of a thing every single day. My oldest, she just started high school last week. And you can see it in her. She's been conditioned by the school systems to pick the path, the good college, the good career path. Mm-hmm. Like It's very clear. Like, I got to get an apartment. I got to be in this type of college, not that type of college. I need this type of degree. And I'm just like, I'm trying to sit her down every time I sense that in her and talk about the opposite of that, what you and I are talking about, the ability and the necessity to sense what you are and then manifest that in the world. Because one, that's how you feel alive. But secondly, to your point, you can make a damn good living. Now going forward, and for a few years at this point, you can make a damn good living by leaning into your essence, your authentic self, right? And figuring out what that is and how to express it. And like, there's lots of avenues. We don't have time to go into that right (laughs) now, but there's so many ways to do it. And it's just like, you just want to see them wake up and sense possibilities. And I think the more that we can get this message out there for people who are in our shoes, younger generations, we just need to get it out there because there's just so much possibility. What Seth and, and Pressfield keep talking about, just like 
it's going to be the new norm very quickly. Like, I don't know how many years it'll be from now, but we're going to look back at all these scripted ways of living and we're going to laugh. Like, we are going to like, I can't believe people pulled that shit. Like, they just chose paths that other gave, others gave to them and they didn't figure out their, their own self. Then people are going to laugh at this now, but it's, you know, you can only, it's when people were laughing at email at one point too. And it's just like, things change. Yep. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mind if we flip to some rapid fire questions? Sure. We could do it. These are always some fun things. Tony, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, I think the best piece of advice I've ever received was, uh, no, that's a, that's a really good one. Can, can we go with the worst piece of advice I've ever received? Let's do can, that. Can we start that's with that one? Stronger. Um, Let's do that. Law degrees are great because you can do so many things with them. And that's, I think that, that was the worst piece of advice. Um, that, uh, to be honest, the best piece of advice, I want to say, like, you are enough. Like I do think like, just being okay with yourself, like learning that changes everything. I'm going to think about that one though. I think I can do better than that. <laughs> yeah. I like where you're going with it, though. If you could invent one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would that be? I, Hmm. Uh, how about we, oh, we'll see. I was going to say we all have to take public transportation, but let's not, that's no, that's not right. That's, that's over the top. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I, this is, this is too easy, but I'm going to say that if we could have a law for kindness, I think that is so syrupy, it's garbage, but Vonnegut had the line of like, I don't know much, but you know, you have to be kind. Damn it. I'll, I'll go with that one. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that one. Lots of goodness happens in your life. If you were starting your career right now in 2022, what advice would you give yourself? Obviously don't go to law school. It's like, lean into the things you were just describing. Like, start a company, start three companies, Right, 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 right. And don't take a bunch of debt because you have no idea what your life is going to become. Oh, well, actually, so going back to the law one, I think the law one, I might do something around the student loan thing where (laughs) we, where we undo the thing about student debt, where, uh, you know, it's impossible to get out from under it without dying. Um, and the federal government guarantees all the loans, but I'm going to workshop that one, Matt. <laughs> That's a more pressing one this day and age. Yeah. I love where you're heading with it. Uh, a few things to wrap us up, Tony. What does uncaged mean to you? I have a key tattooed on my forearm and it's a reminder of a poem from the Sufi mystic, uh, Hafiz. He goes, the... Uh, the small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage, who has to duck her head when the moon is low, can be found dropping keys all night long for the beautiful rowdy prisoners. 
And uncaged is simply that understanding that the key has been provided to us. That if if we're in the cage, most of the time, there's an element of our having decided to allow the cage to hold us. That we have what we need to, to step out. The sheer fact that you have that tattoo and have memorized that quote bonds us forever, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) That's so powerful. I mean, between where where you went with Rowdy Creative, right, and how your journeys unfolded between Mm -hmm. separately on my own path, figuring out feeling caged and what it's like to live uncaged, even that language crossing paths. Mm -hmm. Powerful. It resonates so deeply with me. Tony, where can people connect with you online? How might you be able to help them? You can help find me on LinkedIn. That's where I hang out way too much. I'm also at therowdycreative.com. My email is Tony at therowdycreative.com. And I think those are, those are the main places you can find me. Yeah. And where can we get your book? I Amazon. And uh, it was, it was, they make it super easy to make a book. It was, I was really impressed with that process. I, I know there are problems with Amazon, but I will say, that was awesome. <laughs> Dude, I, I will say this too, as, as you've inspired me in so many ways. I've drafted, I think, three books myself, mm. and I hated every one of them by the time I got to like the 80% mark. Yeah. You've inspired me to actually put my story into a book. And at the beginning of 2023, I'm committing to actually manuscripting that thing. So thank you for getting me over the edge on this one. Yeah, three, I'm... That's awesome to hear, Matt. And yeah, however I can support you in in pushing that thing over the finish line, I'm here for it. Thanks, my friend. Any closing message you'd like to leave with the audience today? All right. Nothing we haven't said over over the course of this thing. It's just we we do have more freedom and more choices when it comes to our trajectories in life. And it's like if you're on a trajectory where you can look into your future and you just don't want to go there. Uh, There are decisions you can make today that can make it more likely your trajectory is going to change to something more fulfilling, more meaningful, uh, healthier. Yeah. Just like what Teddy Roosevelt was saying, right? All you got to do is day by day, step into that arena. Mm-hmm. Big things happen if you're stepping in that arena. It doesn't work as a spectator sport. That's it. Yeah. Tony, this is awesome, man. Thanks so much for all the inspiration, the gold, the motivation to actually be creative and figure out what that means beyond the fluffy stuff. There's a lot of tangible things. People need to hear these messages. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for writing that book. I'm going to do my best to get it out there to the world too. It's a very great read. It's a simple read. It's an impactful read. So thank you. Oh. Thanks a lot for that. I really appreciate you. All right, man. We'll chat soon. Thanks. Hey, Matt here. Thanks for listening to Uncage Yourself. For show notes and more content like this, head over to uncageyourself.fm. And if you liked what you heard, I'd appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Until next time, be well, my friend.